Hey there, mental health and wealth listeners. I wanted to say I've been a bit absent due to some health challenges recently, and I thank you so much for your patience. I also want to send a heartfelt thank you to my coffee supporters who have supported this podcast as well as the Mental Health and Wealth Hangout. If you'd like to support, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. It means so much to me. Now onto this week's episode with therapist Asia Evans, who shares how to feel good about money, deal with financial anxiety and shame, and begin to heal. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741741. Thank you so much for being here, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing therapist Asia Evans, a board-certified therapist who specializes in financial therapy. She commonly speaks about how relationships with money impact all facets of our lives and have the power to shift how we feel emotionally and physically. She is determined to empower people to take control of their financial journey, beginning with evaluating how their past experiences impact their financial decisions. Asia specializes in identifying how anxiety, self-esteem, and stress impacts financial wellness. Because of her ability to use therapeutic approaches to improve financial outcomes for clients and listeners, she's coined the Feel Good Financial Therapist. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me, Melanie. Pleasure to be here. So excited to have you. I love that you are considered the Feel Good Financial Therapist. What a great title. I would put that everywhere, like LinkedIn, uh, website everywhere. I love it. <laughs> Super Thank you. happy to have you. So, you know, because you are the feel good financial therapist, what are some steps people can take to feel good about their money? Sure. So it, uh, oh, there's a lot of things people can do and a lot of steps they can take. Um, because I have just found in my work that people feel really bad about their money very frequently. And I just, I just think that's awful. And because it is so taboo, which you know, to talk about feelings, to talk about money, oftentimes we ignore it. So some steps that people can take first is to get familiar with your numbers, know your money, know what's going on with your money. I know it's hard and I know it's anxiety provoking, but we're going to take a deep breath and dive into what your money actually looks like and what's happening with it because you can't really do anything about changing your financial status if you don't know what's going on. 
So knowing your money is really, really important. And after you do that, you need to tune into what happened with your feelings. How are you feeling? What was coming up for you? Did it make you anxious? Are you worried about looking at your money? Do you know your numbers or have you been avoiding them? So it's really, really important to just, again, take the time to attune to your money, but then your mental health and how you feel about your money and looking at them. And then once you take those two few steps, those two steps, address what your goals are. What do you want your money to do? What do you want it to look like? What are your short-term goals or your long-term goals? Um, Just sit down and get honest with yourself about what you want your financial life to look like. And then we can kind of start taking the step to figure out what you need to learn. Financial literacy is really important. People have different levels of it, but you don't know what you don't know. So looking at how you want to achieve your goals and what information you might need to find out to achieve them is going to be really important so that you can do the last step, which is to make a plan. Make a plan for your money, make a plan for your steps. And I say yourself and your money because um, step two, you have to you have to know what you're feeling. You have to be attuned to it. And you might need to make a plan for how you handle your relationship with money as well as making a plan for your money. So those are a few steps I would say that people need to take to start feeling good about their money. Love that. And that is so important. And I know that first step sounds so simplistic, but it's also so difficult for so many people is knowing your numbers. I remember a little over 10 years ago when I signed up for mint.com and I put on all my accounts Mm -hmm. and I saw for the first time how much student loan debt I had. And at the time I had graduated from NYU with my master's degree in performance studies. And I had been paying my undergrad loan for five years and I had $68,000 left And I was not making a full-time income because I had just graduated and was struggling to find a full-time job. And I felt so panicked that 24 hours later, I deleted the account and decided to bury my head in the sand. And I was so panicked. And obviously that truth caught up to me and... You know, I had to um, change my life choices. I moved to Portland, Oregon because I felt like I couldn't live in New York anymore and all these things. And the truth will catch up to you. And I just want to share that with people because we can deny our financial reality for so long because denial is seductive, feels good in the moment, but in the long term, it can really do so much harm. And it can be quite scary to to look at those numbers for the first time. And I think it's so important to have compassion and grace and understanding. And, and as you said, to understand your feelings about it and move forward accordingly. What, what would you do for old Melanie, for example? <laughs> like having that panic feeling and then deleting the account and then burying my head in the sand for another four months until I realized, oh my gosh, I can't afford to live here anymore. <laughs> I mean, I would tell her like, Melanie, it's okay. Like it is okay. It is a lot of money. And that is very scary. And it's overwhelming. And I think it's so easy for people to forget that when they see these numbers that sometimes um, are bigger than your salary or bigger than the money that you have coming, and you feel like you have to pay it off right away. So young Melanie, I would tell you to take a step back. Let's take a breath. Um, because it is overwhelming and it is anxiety inducing and that's okay. And that we're going to, we're going to do it together and I'm going to help support you in looking at those numbers and then making a plan for how you can kind of 
change your life in a way that either may be really big, like moving, or maybe the small changes that you can do to get a little bit more comfortable in your finances. But first step first is to just like, it is okay. Take a deep breath. You are not by yourself. There are many, 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 many people who feel exactly the same. And like you said, just let's give you, let's give you some grace. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the salary thing because at that point, the most I had ever made in my life was $38,000 working in the nonprofit sector. So to see that I still owed $68,000, which was quite a bit more than my highest annual salary ever. And then, you know, as a student and having just graduated, my salary was much lower at that point. I think the year. And the two years after graduation, my income was like 16000 and then 20000 So like very low income there for a while. And that obviously contributed to my mental health and money and my feelings about debt. And actually, you know, that was in 2011. So a couple of years after the Great Recession. And so there was a lot of things I was dealing with, which actually kind of segues nicely into my next question, which is, you know, right now many people are concerned about a recession. There's a lot of talk about a recession. It seems like we're not quite officially there, but there's a lot of murmurings about this might happen. Mm -hmm. And people like me have survived the Great Recession and remember its impact. So whether this is your first recession or you're triggered Mm -hmm. by your memories from the Great Recession, you know, what are some financial and mental health tips for people who have anxiety about this time? My tips are going to be very similar to what I would tell um, younger you, right, is to take a deep breath. We know that looking at your finances and thinking about the greater society potentially going into recession, whether, like you said, this is your first one, second one, you've lived through financial traumas before, that is extremely anxiety producing and you need to take a breath. So literally, I would tell my clients to just Let's sit and let's take seven deep breaths and just breathe because we need to calm down in that moment. Um, Making decisions when you are heightened and in a heightened emotional state can be really rash and can be harmful to what you're trying to accomplish long term. So just ground yourself and center yourself for a moment. And then let's kind of figure out what we're going to do after that. So looking at the potential for a recession, it's really going to be important that you have a fallback fund. So I call it a fallback fund. Other people may call it an emergency fund. It could be somebody else's effort fund. There are many, many names for it. But what this fund is used for is just money that you have saved up that you'll be able to fall back on in case something happens. So if you lose your job unexpectedly, or if you have to go out on medical leave, or if you have to go out on FMLA to take care of a family member, um, do you have the funds that you'll be able to kind of tap into when there is an emergency to live off of? So making sure that you have a full, um, full or close to full, whatever that looks like for you. There are many timelines for different people. I know a lot of financial people will say three to six months. Sometimes they say a year for people who may work for themselves, sometimes six months. It really is what you're going to be comfortable with because we all come from different backgrounds. So making sure that that fund is 
is there for you to fall back on is going to be really important. And then I'm going to say, stop the doom scrolling. <laughs> um, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, however you take in your media, if that is on so on the socials, if that's the news, if you're reading things, please stop doom scrolling because it does nothing but heighten you more. Um, I think a lot of times what I've heard from my clients is that when they are anxious, they'll kind of go the opposite direction and continue scrolling like, oh, I need to know. I don't want to bury my head in the sand. I want to know what the information is. I want to know what's going on. But really what it's doing is you're searching for control. And instead of getting that control, you end up feeling a little bit more out of control emotionally because you're taking in so much information and not grounding yourself in what you can do about it. So put down the phone, <laughs> put down the phone, turn off the computer, walk away from the TV, get away from the screen, stop the scroll and just kind of ground yourself in something. So that could be a breath. It could be a walk outside, but just take a minute to um, separate yourself from kind of the, like I said, the doom scroll. And then um, fortifying your coping skills. How do you usually deal with stress? What is that? Is it the breath work? Is it a walk? Is it yoga? Is it talking to a friend? Is it making sure that you see your family regularly or petting your dog or your cat um, or reading, looking at what you can do to help you feel less anxious and less stressed out is going to be really important because when we're talking about the potential for a great recession, it's happening to a lot of people, millions of people, but you need to make sure that you're aware of how you can kind of bring down your stress levels. Yeah, so important to remember what makes you feel good and what are the things that you can control. I know for me, whenever I'm super stressed out, I need to go to boxing, I need to book an appointment with my therapist, I need to go for a walk, I need to hide my phone, I need to take a bath, I need to read, I need to unplug. And also now's a great time to build connections with your friends and your family. You know, you might be worried about money and your job, but also, having those relationships is so important. This is something that came up with came up at one of my events at Lola Retreat a few years ago about having resources that are not necessarily financial, but that can still help you. For example, Paulette Perhatch, which is one of the speakers at Lola, she had mentioned, you know, are there a, a handful of friends that if something were to happen, you could stay on their couch for yeah. a few days? If you had to have some meals covered... Are there friends you could say, hey, I just need a little bit of help for a meal here and there? Or are there, you know, food stamps? I was on food stamps briefly a little over 10 years ago when I was really broke and moved to Portland, Oregon. So no shame in that. Sometimes we have to resort to those things. And so just taking an inventory of all the resources you do have that can help if things get really bad. I think that can kind of help some of your anxiety during these moments. Definitely, definitely. And I always say to my clients sometimes too, is when they find that they're unable to kind of check their anxiety and kind of tone it back down um, and bring it back down to a level that feels good to them, or at least better, um, is thinking about all the things that would have to go wrong in your life to get you back to that point or get you to the point that you're most fearful of. And this could have to, it could be with money. It could be with anything truly. What would have to go wrong in your life? How many of the systems that you've already created in your life would have to fail for you to get to that point? And sometimes just hearing themselves walk through those steps 
helps and can help kind of ground them in, oh, I, I have set myself up better than I anticipated that I did. I have done more than I'm giving myself credit for. So it's just a nice kind of reality check that you can do very quickly to, to see where you're at and to take a pulse on um, where you're trying to be. Yeah, totally. And, you know, on the other hand, we, we have a lot of people who have also secured better jobs because of the great resignation and kind of the way the economy is going, at least in regards to jobs. And they're making good money right now. So something that I also wanted to bring up kind of on the other end of the spectrum is how can people reconcile their past if they have experienced a low income or poverty and now have money and stability for the first time? I know a lot of people tend to feel like, um, this is kind of a derogatory term, but class traitors, or they've moved up the ladder, or, you know, they're leaving people behind. And there's a lot of baggage that can come with moving up in class or Mm -hmm. becoming different than your family of origin. How can people deal with some of those feelings around money and class and wealth building? Yeah, so this is so, so nuanced and so complex, especially for people who may be first generation wealth builders, because there's a lot of guilt that comes with everything that you're talking about, um, making more money than your parents, potentially having more money as a single person than your family had. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? So this is really where it's so important to just be aware of your feelings and your relationship to money, because it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you had those traumatic experiences and those hard times in your past, they stick with you. You remember them, even though you might be financially stable now. So particularly I, the work that I do with my clients, which is therapeutic work, is really taking the time to very sensitively um, kind of go back to some of the narratives that they created and were telling themselves about money at that time. What were their beliefs about money? What were the messages that they heard about money from their families? And decide whether or not those still hold true for them now. Um, Is this something that I need to attune to? Is this something I still believe? How is it impacting my life now? So really being aware of those narratives that you're telling yourself and those beliefs that came from your upbringing or the financially traumatic experience that you went through identifying those feelings, right? So a lot of identifying feelings, because it's so, so important to know where you're coming from emotionally, so that you can shift where you're trying to go and shift the narrative to someplace that is more positive for where your life is now. Starting to look at forgiving yourself for those money mistakes, or your example, Melanie, of saying that you put your head back in the sand for four months. That's okay, right? Like it, it feels like everything needs to happen right now, and it doesn't. You do need to make changes when you're in the crisis, but it is not helpful for you to have consistent feelings of blaming yourself, of guilt, of shame. It puts so much pressure on what you have to do tomorrow instead of trying to allow you to feel better and heal so that you can make long lasting changes. And that's what I'm about. I want my clients to feel like they're able to dive into some of their past and their history so that they can forgive themselves, potentially forgive their family or loved ones if they need to, and accept that this was part of their reality. And now how do we move forward in affirming yourself in a more positive, stable way? So looking at where you're at right now to then rewrite those narratives, rewrite those beliefs, and affirm 
in positive ways. And sometimes that can be really hard. So an example of this could be that if somebody grew up in a different financial state, so they had less money than they do now, it might have been, um, it felt scary when we weren't financially stable. And a new comma and to that statement would be, but I'm financially stable now and I'm building wealth, I'm building stability for myself, I'm building comfort for myself. And I deserve and I'm allowed that comfort. So taking the time to put that comma and on what was the reality of your past and what you want your current and your future to look like. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I wanted you to pause real quick and take a mindful minute. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. and exhale. Take a deep breath again. And exhale. Taking a moment for yourself is so important for your mental health. Now, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying this episode, please review the podcast and share it on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart and share your thoughts. It'll really help spread the word about the show and help others with their money and mental health. You can also support this independent podcast and buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. Such important points that I think are so relevant for so many people right now. I mean, we have so many people in different situations. Some people are losing their jobs and worried about a recession. Some people are making the most money they've ever made in their lives. And how can we reconcile that with what their past is? So I love all of those tips that you shared. And, you know, you work as a therapist and you've probably seen people deal with low self-esteem and struggles with self-worth. And I'm curious how you see these things manifest in mental health and finances. I could go on and on all day about self-esteem and finances because I think it plays a major role, Um, how you feel about yourself, where your mental health is at, and what you do with your money. If you ask me, I do think that there is a crisis of self-esteem building up underneath the surface that we're not kind of addressing as much as we need to. And really what it is, is that people feel really bad and are using their money in some healthy ways and and some not so healthy ways to try to make themselves feel better. And I said it before that you, you can't YOLO yourself into happiness. You cannot do all of the experiences, do all of the traveling, do all of the eating, do all of the shopping without actually getting in touch with how you feel about yourself. And it can so quickly lead to overspending, unmanageable debt, and just feeling really awful about what your financial life looks like because you don't feel good about yourself. So there's this intersection that can kind of create this perfect storm of problematic financial behaviors and spending because you're just trying to feel better. And I get it. And it's just awful that so many people feel so bad when they're seeing somebody else like, oh, well, I'm on social and this person is able to go to Turks and Caicos and I want to go too. And why am I not in Paris right now? Or why don't I look like that in my pictures? The comparison is, um, as people say, a, a thief of joy. And if we don't take the time to really figure out 
what you can do to feel better about yourself. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much money you spend. You have to do the work to love yourself. And and sometimes that requires help and, and having a therapist to really get into what's going on for you and what's coming up for you with your self-esteem. So it is extremely important, nuanced work, and it can get really complex. But to just begin to scratch the surface, low self-esteem, um, mental health and finances are definitely related. Yeah, you think about the power of marketing and marketers, and they love to prey on our lowest pain points, our self-esteem. You know, like if you buy this product, you can be skinnier, you can be prettier, you can have smoother skin, you could lose weight, you can do X, Y, Z, or you'll feel better. And it's really important for us to have a stable sense of self and buy out of things that bring us joy and not because we're trying to use money as a band-aid to feel good or heal things that require deeper work like such as you know through working through a therapist right yes totally I could not agree more and it's really easy to just kind of get swept up like you said in the marketing of oh if I just do this next thing that's going to make me feel better if I just you know, go to this next place or have that next vacation. And I post these pictures, then I'll feel better. And then sometimes you do feel better. Listen, I'm all about a nice beach vacation. If it brings you joy, and it makes you feel good. But we also need to be aware of what's going on for you. That is deeper than just the vacation, because you could consume all the things and still not be happy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not a cure-all and it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. And it might feel good for a second, for a day, for even a week maybe, but it's not long lasting. So definitely, you know, if you're dealing with self-esteem issues or low self-worth, and I know I've been there myself, like I've spent so much money on things to try to improve my appearance or improve my skin or improve this or that. And I just realized now, wow, if I would have just put that money towards therapy or the <laughs> the deeper work, then I probably would have been a lot wealthier and a lot happier as well. Right. It's And it's so easy to do that. And I've done it myself too. Like I think especially when you're younger or in your early 20s, you assume that this is what adulting is, that it, it has to look one way. And it's really easy to get wrapped up into that when it really is like, Asia, did you really need that $70 pair of shoes and that $75 brunch and this and that? And the answer was no, but there were times when I was like, oh, but I'll look so cool if, um, but there's always going to be something. So, Exactly. So talking about money and finances, you know, sometimes people self-sabotage their finances without realizing it. You know, what are some causes of that and how can people bring awareness and change to stop such behaviors? Yeah, so I definitely think... Um, Self-esteem obviously plays a role in that and could be one of the things that kind of bring up some of those behaviors, but taking the time to just sit and think about what's going on for me. Um, I recently wrote a blog just on mindless spending and how easy it can be to just go out and spend when you're trying to accomplish something else. So if you are overwhelmed and you're like, oh, I'm overwhelmed, so I have to, I just can't bother cooking today, so I have to eat out, but you're doing that every day for every meal and realizing that it's going above your your budget, your spending plan, um, or you just don't know what, where your money is going and you're eating it. Like, I love eating out. So it is 
it can get a, be a really slippery slope for me to spend my money on eating. And I had to be aware of that, of how easy it was for me to kind of just swipe to eat something because it brought me joy and it made me feel good. So people taking the time to just sit and think about what's going on for them is going to be really important in them being able to start changing their behavior. So if you recognize that when you're really tired or when you work long hours, you tend to not work out or you don't sleep as well, or you spend more money or you are more um, apt to book that extra vacation or spend more money in different ways, that's going to be a red flag to tell you, hey, oh, when I'm working too long, I need to do something different. I recognize that this is when this is happening. And sometimes that does require you to look at your money and look at your spending and, and what's going on with where you're putting your money that you may not want to be putting as much there. Yeah, and sometimes it can feel like we are scared of success or stability. Like, I'd love for you to speak on, you know, I've, I've heard this from people who they might have had a chaotic childhood or that is what is considered normal for their nervous system. And so having stability and money in adulthood can feel very uncomfortable. How can people reconcile, you know, wanting to move on from this painful past that is marked by unpredictability by um, chaos and that feels normal for them and what I've realized in my own healing journey is that dysfunction if that's normal for you feels normal <laughs> so yeah. healing and, and being healthy can feel quite weird and you have to get acclimated to that so how can people do that work to realize this is the healthier pattern and the healthier way. And I don't want to live in chaos anymore. I don't want to spend all my money after getting it to recreate that chaos that I'm so familiar with and start taking those steps to heal my money and my, my childhood trauma potentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, awareness, right? Like I feel like, um, I mentioned it before, but it's so important because if you are not aware that you are doing something, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to change it. So awareness of, oh my goodness, I am spending. So making a plan is going to help you track where your spending is going. Oh, if you, like you said, grew up in a family that was more dysfunctional and it felt chaotic and that is you're totally right. What's comfortable for you, you will go back to that place if you haven't started doing the work of recognizing this is how my chaotic behavior show up for me. And it will be very individual and it might not look like what it did when you were growing up because you were living through the chaos of other people as well. So how does your chaos show up for you? What do you do that makes your life a little bit more dysfunctional and it's not comfortable for you after you realize you've done it? So a budget is a great way for you to just be aware, hey, I know that when I spend XYZ amount of money, that is more of a sign of when I'm being a little bit more chaotic. And when I'm spending under that closer to this number, that is kind of a nice, happy medium for me. So that will kind of be a nice guidepost for you to recognize when you're doing financial behaviors that are not going to benefit you longer term without feeling like you're too restricted and can't spend any money because we, we don't want people to feel like they can't spend their money either because as much as saving your money is important, so is spending it. Money's a tool and it should be enjoyed where you can. 
So making sure that you're just aware of what your behaviors are and then checking in with yourself about what happens after you do some of those negative behaviors. Are Is there a dialogue of negative self-talk that you then kind of berate yourself with and then you feel bad and you're not going to do the right thing because you make yourself feel bad. You're just going to feel bad. And that's really important because I think it's really easy for people to just kind of dive into negative self-talk and almost like self-punishing as a, as a method of changing behavior. And really all it does is make you feel really bad and shameful in case you do it again. And we want to leave room to be human and to make mistakes because mistakes happen. So being aware of your, yeah, your negative self-talk so is so important. <laughs> totally so important. And yeah, I love what you say about awareness because we're not going to make meaningful changes until we are aware of our behaviors and the things that might not be working for us. And yeah, understanding when you are engaging in negative self-talk. I remember my first year of therapy after um, my nine-year breakup, I would be talking and my therapist would say, I want you to stop right there. And she was like, did you hear what you just said? And I was like, Mm -hmm. what? What did I say? And then she would repeat it back to me and I was like, oh, wow, when you say it, it does sound kind of bad. (laughs) And I was was engaging in so much negative self-talk and I had no idea because that had been my autopilot, that had been my kind of script in my mind for so long. And it took me a lot of work to kind of rewire that internal script of like automatically berating myself, automatically putting myself down, automatically disparaging myself. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of healing and a lot of awareness. And that's also something I wanted to talk to you about. So, you know, I'm almost five years out of um, that period of my life where I, I went through this devastating breakup of nine years and had a lot of healing. And I kind of consider that the beginning of my healing journey because it had opened up so many things from my childhood, patterns with codependency, alcohol abuse, so many things that I had never really realized were problems until, you know, you start doing this deep work and you think about everything differently. And so I wanted to ask you, like, you know, now that I'm five years out and I see things so much differently, I have this kind of different grieving process about the past. Like that relationship doesn't seem as great as it was anymore or uh, or or you know certain parts of my life like they just look different now that I know more now that I've I, I know that there were patterns underneath that so how can people deal with that like looking at things differently as they heal because this has just been in my experience and I, I presume it's relatively common and you can tell me or not but the more that I heal, the more I look at things from the past differently and I kind of mourn that version of my life and what I thought about it. And it's like mourning the memory of that because it's no longer the same memory, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay. It's, it's part of grief, right? Like just because you have been out of that relationship and out of that time in your life for so long doesn't mean that you don't, you can't look back on that time in your life. and um feel things and and feel a range of emotions right it can be positive it can be negative but just recognizing that oh my goodness like younger me just had no idea i didn't realize all of this was going on i didn't know the nuance of my own life and my own self 
And that comes up a lot for my clients. And I recently was talking to a client just about um, kind of forgiving yourself for, like I said before, like not knowing what you didn't know and, and being okay with like, I was doing the best I could at the time with what I had and the understanding I had of myself, not even other people yet, but myself. So when you start doing this work and, and when you're a therapist, it's easy to say like, oh, you're doing the work, but the work really is recognizing your own patterns, recognizing your behaviors, recognizing your coping strategies. And when things are maladaptive and are not helpful for you and when you are at your healthiest. So the work is all encompassing of building new stories and restructuring your life in a way that you understand yourself better. And sometimes looking back at your old self and your old decisions can be cringy and you just have to forgive yourself. You have to give yourself a minute and some grace and just say, I really was trying to do the best that I could. And that's where I was at in my life. Um, and I tell my clients all the time, especially when it comes to breakups, because they can be so hard. I have breakups in my own life that I look back and I'm just so sad for young Asia. Um, because right? I was, you know, like I'm still so sad. sad for her. And, and that's okay because she was in love or she thought she was in love or it didn't work out. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And that's okay that the older you mature, you can look back and just say, wow, that was really hard. Um, I wish I had known. I wish I was here now. But time does that. Maturity does that. And and we were all just doing the best we could with what we had at the time. Hindsight 2020, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think so many of us we learn certain patterns in childhood or in young adulthood that seem to serve us fairly well and then at some point there becomes a turning point a lot of tension and then we realize that those patterns no longer work for us and then as we start to heal we get away from those patterns and we realize oh my gosh those were maladaptive coping mechanisms or patterns that i thought were normal or okay like in my example i thought this was like a fairy tale love and then in retrospect it was like this was a very codependent enabling relationship that was quite dysfunctional at least towards the end and you know i definitely think there's love there and there was love there and i don't negate that but my view of it is different because i know kind of the deeper patterns and issues that came out of that. And I think that's also painful and part of the grieving process. But, you know, as we grow up and heal and mature, so many of us have to confront what are these childhood patterns or young adult patterns that I learned somewhere or they felt good at the time, but no longer serve me, right? Yes. Yes, 100%. And that's where I'm going to therapy can be really important because you're not just doing it by yourself. Um, it can be really overwhelming if you're going into this work by yourself and you may not know where to start, but having that person who is there to support you and can kind of label some of those messages and label some of those patterns and identify them, um, if you don't even realize them, is really, really helpful. And that's where therapy is the best. Um, one of my favorite parts about therapy and being a therapist is to watch the perspective shift in my clients when they recognize, oh my gosh, this is what we were talking about. This is it. It's showing up again in such a different way. I'm shocked. But they get it so quickly once they have started to identify. And then that allows them to kind of live 
better, healthier lives where they feel really good about themselves. And they're like, okay, there's still work to be done. And that's all right. But I accept myself. I give myself grace. I give myself love. I am deserving and I'm enough. Yes, the healing journey is never ending and it's a roller coaster, but you know, it is worth it to have healthier coping mechanisms and patterns and healthier relationships and a healthier relationship with yourself. Do you have any final tips for people to have a better relationship with either themselves or their money? Um, I mean, I would say, like I have been saying, like give yourself a minute, take a breath, definitely. And just reevaluate if you find yourself doing similar things again and again and what's coming up and and what do you think um, you want it to look like and why do you want it to look differently for you? Not because somebody else says it, not because you saw it on social media or this cool person is doing it. Really think about what you want for you. And then be kind to yourself as, as you make a plan to kind of make that a reality. I really just think that we all should be out here living our most authentic life and trying to do so in a way that feels really good to us. So love that. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and experience on the show. If people wanted to work with you or follow you, where can they find you? Sure. So you can find me at my website, which is asiaevanscounseling.com. I'm on Instagram at Asia, A-J-A-E, therapy. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a Mental Health and Wealth Hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.